All right. Good to see everybody this morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. A cold one this morning. Had to actually put on a coat, which I haven't had to do in a while. So. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and keep going in our series on Joel, on, on the Minor Prophets, and today we're going to be talking about Joel. And I want to ask you a question. Have you ever dropped a, a, a carton of milk on the floor in your kitchen and the thing just bursts open and there's milk everywhere? Has anybody ever done that? Had the whole thing just spill all out all over the place? I mean, that's a disaster, right? I mean, there's disasters and then there's disasters. That's a disaster because you're going to be cleaning for a long time. That milk smell is going to linger in the kitchen for a long time. That's a disaster, right? There's certain disasters that happen to us. Another disaster is when you've got your sweet baby girl all ready to go to church. She's all dressed up cute and pretty. And then you're walking out the door and you hear a bad sound and a bad smell is coming out of the rear end. And it goes all the way up the back. How do they do that? And you're stuck, yeah, yeah, and it's, you start all over, right? That's a, that's a disaster, right? That's, you're, you're probably going to be late to church in that case, um, if you make it at all at that point. Those are sort of disasters, but then there's real disasters, right? There's earthquakes and floods and, and fires. There's tsunamis and wars. There's the real disasters. And this is what the prophet Joel is really about. It's when real disasters happen to people. The bad things, the really bad things that happen. And prominent in the book is a plague of locusts that we're going to be hearing about. A plague that comes and destroys everything. And sometimes ruin and disaster comes upon us, right? Sometimes it's a natural disaster. Fires and, and, and earthquakes and hurricanes and all floods, all these things. Sometimes they come upon us. Sometimes they're things that are a result of other people's actions that we couldn't control, like wars and other things. Sometimes, sometimes disasters come on us that are personal disasters because of things we did, ways we weren't doing what we should have done and things are kind of falling apart. Um, sometimes things happen that we just could never have prevented. And Joel gives us incredible insight on how to manage in this sense, in the case of these disasters, the ruins and disasters, no matter how they come on us. He gives us some tools. He gives us a way to look back. And what he shows us is that God is always in the business of bringing restoration from ruin. That there's always a way back to God, that God is always doing a renewal work, even in the midst of some really destructive times. And it's interesting that Joel is one of the few um, prophets that we can't really place in time. If you go to the timeline that we have up there, um, you can see that I've got Joel over... I'm using my pointer again. Does everyone notice that? I'm so excited. I, had, I was like, I can use the pointer today. Um, I've got Joel over here, but with a question mark, because there's a lot of question about whether he belongs at this part of the timeline or not. He mentions, um, he seems to mention the fall of Judah and Jerusalem, and there's no specific mention of a king, which would put him then over here when Babylon, Judah and Israel have been conquered and the people in exile, there's no king. So it seems like it would be in that time period. But he also mentions the Philistines, the Sabaeans, the Tyrians, and Sidonians, which were people groups that this group knew that Israel was kind of close to and would have known. And so then it kind of puts it over here. Um, also, it mentions temple worship. So temple worship could have been happening after the exile when they came back and rebuilt the temple, or it could have been happening before the temple was destroyed, which was in 586, so it could have been happening here. So it could have been either place. Um, and there's also a reference in Joel 3 to the Greeks as a faraway people. 
which would mean that they hadn't been such much mixing with the Greeks, which would then put it way back here, which was before the Greeks became more prominent in this area. So all I'm telling you is we have no idea, <laughs> really, when this book was written. We know it was sometime in this period. Um, and in some ways, that's good. Because he's talking about a particular set of things that are happening, a particular disaster, a particular um, situation, um, and specific times. But really, this book applies to all of us at all times and all the troubles that we find ourselves in. And there's three responses to ruin, three responses to destruction that Joel gives us. And they're so strong. They're so simple, but so strong. He says, lament, repent, and receive. These are the three things you're going to see in Joel. And if you've got a chance to read through Joel, and I encourage you to read through these books before I preach on them, because it's kind of fun to sort of see what you get out of it before you hear someone else talk about it. Um, but if you look through the book again, if you read through it again, lament, repent, and receive. And so we're going to talk about these three things today in Joel. Um, the first one is lament. And if you remember nothing about Joel at all, remember it's about a plague of locusts. Say plague of locusts. I am feeling... Like, I need us to be a talk-back church today. Is that all right? I, I feel like we're all a little asleep. I'm tired. All right, so I want to hear you say Plague of Locusts. Okay, and you, if you want to shout out an amen at any point, you can do that. Okay? I want to just, like, loosen you up. You're ready. You, amen, amen. There we go. Um, so let me read to you from Joel. This is an intense uh, start to the book, Joel 1, 2 to 12. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land, a mighty army without number. He's still talking about locusts here. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the betrothed of her youth. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. The fields are ruined. The ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up. The olive oil fails. Despair, you farmers. Wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up, and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the people's joy is withered away. Now that is lament. What an example of lament. That's it. A plague of locusts was a real thing in early Mesopotamia. In fact, they found 20 words for locust in the Akkadian language, which was one of the prominent languages in that period, um, because locusts were a major and terrifying force. If you were a farmer in those days, which most people were, Locusts come, and it's it. You're not eating for a year. I mean, it's just, how do, I don't even know how they survived a plague of locusts. Um, and it's interesting that Joel uses four different words. Did you catch that? He says, there's the locust swarm, what the locust swarm ate, the, the, great, swarm, the great locust, the young locust, the other locust. Um, I kind of like the way, a lot of the translations use different words. I like the way the NSB, NASB translates it. I've got, I've got it up here for you. It says, what the gnawing locust has left 
the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. <laughs> Lots of locusts. And um, commentators argue about whether this means there's four different like, genre, you know, types of locusts, or if there were four different stages of development, or if it was simply four years of locusts. It could have been four years. It says later, God's going to repay the, the years the locusts have eaten. So it could have been years. We don't know. But what we know is that nothing was left by the time they were done, right? Anybody ever read the Little House in the Prairie books when they were little? A lot of the girls, anyway, we read that. Uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder going out with her family, you know, out onto the prairie. And she has this incredible description of when they're out there and there's a locust plague, a locust swarm comes. And they've, they've been doing their whole crops. They've been tending these crops all summer long. It's what they're going to live on. And then they watch the locusts descend. And the locusts just start, like, and she's like, it's like, a, I love the way she describes it. It's like a, just like an like a army marching over the field, just eating everything in its sight. And it's just like devastation as the locusts are coming. And she t describes hearing the sound of their, voice, uh, their mouths chewing. Because there's millions of locusts, so you could hear crunch, 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 just, just tons of them. And if you left a crack open of your window, they would come in the window and just climb over you. they just driven by some kind of internal clock, right, that just pushes them forward and eating everything, destroying everything. This is what a locust plague would have been like. And if this really did go on for years, this is devastation to the people that lived there, of course. There'd be no food, no crops. Even the animals would have nothing to eat, and this is why Joel says, has anything like this ever happened in your days of your ancestors? It was beyond comprehension. Such disaster and such sorrow. We know about disasters, don't we? This is not uh, something new, and it's certainly uh, something that has not gone away. We continue to have disasters all the time. In fact, I was realizing that only in the last two months, more than 6,000 people died in flooding in Libya. Do you remember that? There's all, you know, we got new stuff in the news, so we forget about the old stuff in the news. Um, and so 6,000 people died in flooding in Libya just a couple months or two ago. Um, more than 2,000 people each were killed in the earthquake in Morocco, and then there was another earthquake in Afghanistan. <laughs> another couple thousand people died in that. And then, of course, we can't deny this past week, right, what's been going on in Israel. Thousands of people, Israelis and Palestinians, dying just like that, just like that. Have we ever seen anything in all our days? Um, this, is, this is exactly what Joel is talking about. And the suffering of humanity has been always great, right? If we look back um, a couple years, COVID-19, there was something like three to six million deaths worldwide from COVID-19. We're, you know, we're kind of past it now, so we're kind of almost have forgotten about it. But if you didn't forget about it, if you lost someone, certainly. Um, Three to six million. Anywhere from one to three million people died by execution or in Soviet camps during the reign of Joseph Stalin in Russia all those years ago in the early 20th century. We can't forget that almost six million Jews died in the Holocaust. Six million killed in the Holocaust in World War II. An estimated 12 to 13 Africans were abducted from Africa and brought into chattel, chattel slavery here in the Americas. 12 to 13 million. And in the 14th century, going way back, 75 to 200 million people died of the Black Death, the plague. So this is the world we live in. This is the sadness and the disaster and the ruin that comes upon us. Horrendous suffering. And, you know, bring it down to Greensboro. Almost every week I hear about a shooting in Greensboro, right? I mean, what's, what's that all about? Um, and there's shootings and there's, there's car, fatal car crashes and all kinds of things. So what are we to do in the face of such sorrow, of such disaster? 
Do we just forget about it? Do we just kind of try to turn off the news and not even think about it? We've already forgotten, like I said, about the flooding. You know, just move on to the next thing. No, Joel says this. He says, lament. He says, lament. This is, this is such a well-timed message for this week, is it not? We should be lamenting. Um, and here's how he's, he puts it in Joel 1, 13 to 14. He says, put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God, for the grain offerings and the drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. Cry out to the Lord. Bring him all your sorrow. Yet again, and I love this, we see an example of emotionally healthy spirituality in the Bible. Don't just deny your pain. Don't just pretend it's not there. Don't just stuff it. Don't just move on and just go to life. No, stop and lament. Cry out to God. Give it to him. Feel what you're feeling and bring it to him. This, this, is, what we, this is what we do. And then also sorrow together. Grieve together. Help one another grieve for one another's sorrows. Cry out to God together. I'm on a few faster pages on Facebook, and one of them is the um, Christian and Missionary Alliance page. Um, I used to be in that denomination, and so I'm still on the page where all the pastors shared various things about church life and whatnot. But one of these uh, posts this week was from a pastor, a CMA pastor, who is serving right now in the Holy Land. So he's right in the middle of this whole thing. Um, I don't exactly know where he is. He doesn't share that. But he offered a prayer, which I thought was the best prayer I've ever heard, you know, have heard yet, um, for this whole situation in Israel and Palestine. Um, and it's also a wonderful example of lament. So I thought I would pray it because I, thought I wanted us to pray for the situation. I want to pray. I want to read it to you now, and you can pray it with me. But this is from a, a, a man serving as a pastor right now in the Holy Land. And he says this, From the Holy Land, this is my prayer today. Would you join me? I'm running out of words to pray for the people of this land. All I can say is, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on the mother in Israel who was burying her child. Have mercy on the mother in Gaza with no home, no food, and no hope to provide for her child. Have mercy on the hostages and those who love them. Have mercy on the hostage holders who are captive to their own hate. Have mercy on the medics and the doctors, the volunteers on all sides, desperate to relieve suffering. Have mercy on the normal people caught under the crushing power of their governments that choose political intrigue and power over justice and goodness. Have mercy on our hearts that we may not grow weary of bearing witness and maintaining hope. And have mercy on us that we may have mercy on our fellow man, never losing sight of their humanity or of our vocation as peace builders. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem and Gaza City and Ashkelon, and Bethlehem, and Tel Aviv, and Ramallah. Amen. That's a lament. That's a lament. Let's lament together. Let's keep lamenting and praying for the situation over there. But Joel says, to you, O Lord, I call to you. That's the key. Have mercy, Lord. There's no place else we can go when disaster hits but to Jesus. Amen. There's no place else we can go. We cry out to him. We lament to him. You know, another example of this in our Bible is Job. If you look at Job, he lost everything in a very short order, right? He lost all his possessions. He lost his family. He lost his health and everything. And he did a lot of complaining. If you read Job, he complained a lot to God about it. 
He was kind of mad at him about it. Complained, complained. And yet somewhere in there, God says he commends Job. And you might ask yourself, why is Job commended when he's complaining so much? And I once heard a great sermon on this by Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller from New York, and he said um, he was complaining, but he was complaining to God. It's still prayer. It's still prayer when you're praying to God and complaining to God and crying out to God and angry with God. It's still prayer. And this is, this is what Joel's saying to us. Turn to the Lord. Return to the Lord in the midst of your sadness, in the midst of your hardship. And I know there's people in our church today that are suffering. Some of you have some scary medical things happening to you. Some of you have some scary family things happening to you. Some of you just have some hard things happening. And, and all there's nothing easy about all of it. But we turn to the Lord. We put our face to him and we cry out to him. He, to you, O oh Lord, I call. There's no place else we can go. There's no place else we can go. Amen? Amen. And believe it or not, that's how we keep on track with God, is we keep turning our face toward him in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our sadness. We lament and we cry out to him. Somebody say lament. 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 All right. The second thing Joel calls us to do is repent. And so up until now, he's been talking about this actual natural disaster. Nobody has to repent for a natural disaster, but he's moving on. He's coming more prophetic. And so as we go into Joel 2, uh, I'm going to read to you from Joel 2, 1 to 2. It says this, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times or ever will be again in ages to come. And then he goes on for many verses to describe this army, mighty army coming that's leaving the land and waste, everything uh, ablaze in fire. So we know he's not still talking about the locusts. He's talking about an actual army leaving the nations in anguish. And he continues in verse 10. And he says this, Before them the earth shakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number, and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? He ain't talking about locusts anymore. <laughs> the locusts are nothing compared to the day of the Lord. What's he talking about? This is the day of the Lord. This is a theme throughout Scripture. You find it in Old Testament and New Testament. And it's when Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. There's going to be a time of judgment. When Jesus first came, he came to save us and to show us his, his grace. But there's going to be a time when he's going to come back and all evil will be judged. Any who stand against him will be destroyed. And so this is what he says. There will be justice. Second uh, Peter 3.10. It's in the New Testament, talked about several times. Peter says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It'll surprise all of us. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth, and everything done in it will be laid bare. And even Jesus talks about it. Jesus is telling us that this happens. Uh, this is going to happen in Matthew 24. And he actually seems like he's almost quoting or alluding to Joel's words here. In Matthew 24, he says this, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. We'll all see it. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather, and immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Sounds like Joel's words there. And then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds in heaven with power 
and great glory. Why is this day so dreadful? Why will people mourn? Why will they mourn when the Son of Man comes? It's because those who have not found refuge in the salvation of Jesus will know that they're going to have to stand before the judgment seat of God. That's a fearful place to be if you don't know that you're covered by the blood of Jesus. Amen? And so this is the moment at which all evil will be destroyed. Everything against him will be consumed by fire. So Joel, what, what is Joel talking about here? Is he still talking about locusts? Is he talking about an army? Because at other points, it seems like he's talking about an army that's about to come. And some will say he's talking about Assyria and Babylon that just are about to come and conquer Israel and Judah. And then some are saying he's talking about when Jesus comes back. Here's the interesting thing. Um, it's actually um, all, of the, all of the above. <laughs> because he's doing what a lot of prophets do, which they call pro prophetic telescoping. Okay, Got yourself a theological word today. Prophetic, which I can't even say, prophetic telescoping, and I have my handy-dandy telescope with me. And so it's the kind of thing that when you're looking at a far distance and you see mountains in the, in the distance, they look like they're all right next to each other, right? But if you fly over them, they could be apart by miles, right? It's just perspective. And in the same way, if you're like just looking like with the telescope co collapsed, you see just what's close up. But if I like open it up and then open it up again, I'm seeing further and further and further. That's really what the prophets do, not just Joel. Lots of the prophets do this, so it can help you when you're reading it and wondering what they're talking about. They could be talking about a current disaster, the plague of locusts. He's also talking about Assyria and Babylon coming and conquering Israel, but he's also talking about this future. So he's talking about the near, the mid, and the far. Um, other other scriptures, other prophets talk about a king, a righteous king. Who's he talking about? Is he talking about the king right in front of them that they have right now? That, and then sometimes they are. They're talking about a good king that happens to be there in Israel. That's the close. But then he's also talking about the righteous king, Jesus, who will come, right? And so that's the perspective. Um, in fact, even our understanding in the vineyard of the kingdom is a kind of an example of prophetic telescoping. The kingdom is what? Already and right? It's already and not yet, meaning it's here now. The kingdom is here, here, but it's also not yet. It's coming. The kingdom's coming. The kingdom is not fully here on earth. It's, we don't see everyone healed. We don't see every tear wiped from our eye yet. That's going to be when the kingdom has finally come. So it's just kind of interesting that that's what's happening here in Joel, that he's telescoping. He's giving us kind of three different scenarios. The first, he talks about the current disaster, right? The plague of locusts. Then he's talking about a, a near-term disaster, that's going to come. It's a judgment. It's a day of the Lord. It's very clear. The judgment on Israel and the judgment on Judah, Babylon and Assyria coming in. But he's also talking about the far future when Jesus is coming back and there's going to be judgment. And we know that the, he's talking about that because in Joel 3, he says this, I will gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations and divided up the land. All the nations will be judged. There will be justice. And for those of us that fight for justice, that long for justice, and we want to keep doing that, but there's a hope that I hope that each one of us realizes is that there will finally be justice. All the things that have been wrong will be righted. All the evil will, will be punished, will be taken away. And so that's a powerful thing. And so what does Joel tell us to do in light of this reality that the day of the Lord is coming, the judgment is coming, that there's a time when God will come and judge the living and the dead? What does he tell us to do? Repent. Return to God. Make sure you're right with God. Make sure you're right with God. And this is a message for all of us. 
Joel 2, 12 to 13, he says this, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. And so here's what's great about Joel, just like all the other prophets that we've been studying. He not only he gives us the doom and gloom, but he also gives us the hope. He says, you might be off track, but you can get back on track. You just got to turn back to the Lord. And maybe that's a word for someone here today, that, that we know we're off track with God, that we have really not reconciled our heart with him. We've gone through the motions. We've done the external things. We've gone to church, but we have never really allowed him to become Lord of our life. We've never asked him for salvation. We've never asked him to forgive us of our sins and become his child. Maybe you know that you've just, you know, you're thinking in your mind, someday I will, but I want to have some fun first. <laughs> I remember thinking that as a high schooler. I was like, and I, you know, yeah, someday I'll come to Jesus, but I want to, I want to have a good time first. I want to do my own thing first. Maybe we just figure, I'll, I'll think about that Jesus thing someday, but not now. And this is the moment where I feel like I need to channel a little fire and brimstone preacher. Can I do that? Would you give me permission to just a little bit? Because the day of the Lord is coming, and it comes like a thief in the night. Don't delay this most important decision of your life. Because he comes like a thief in the night, it will surprise all of us. Is your soul right with God? It doesn't mean you're walking in perfection with God. It doesn't mean you've not sinned even this morning. But it means that you know that Jesus is your salvation, that his blood has covered your sins, and that you've received him in your heart by faith. This is why he died on the cross, so every one of us could stand before the judgment seat of God in that terrible day of the Lord. It will be a frightening day, I'm sure. But we'll be able to stand before the throne of God and say, I stand cleansed and, and saved by the blood of the Lamb. And he'll say, enter into your rest. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So repent of your sins, he says. Repent of your sins. Repent is not the same thing as regret and remorse. Um, regret over sin is wishing we hadn't done something because we got caught. <laughs> we didn't like the consequences, right? A lot of us have regrets, right? Ah, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. That was a bad idea. That's not really repentance. Sometimes we feel remorse for our, for our sins. Oh, I did the wrong thing, you know, and I feel bad about it. Now I feel bad about myself. I'm a bad person. Um, but that's not repentance either. Repentance is actually so much more freeing, so much more beautiful. It is simply deciding to follow Jesus. It's turning from our old way and turning towards him. It's making that decision. And I pray today that if there's any of us here that have not made that decision, whether you're watching online or you're here in this place, that you would decide to follow Jesus. He is gracious and loving, and he receives you just as you are, just as you are. We have these comforting words, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. I have a, a preacher I love listening to. His name is Colin Smith. He's a Scottish preacher. I, I don't know if I like it, him mostly because of his accent, but also he also says great stuff. Um, and he was talking a little bit about this, and he said, and, um, God has a book and a bottle. I thought this was interesting. He has a book, and in the book is a list of everything everyone's ever done, the good and the bad. And so he has every evil act. He has every uh, cruel thing. He has it all in the book. He, has, he remembers. We may forget 
The headlines may have moved on and we've forgotten the evil thing that happened last year or 10 years ago, but God doesn't forget any of it. There will be justice on all counts, and he will take care of the evil that has been done in our world all since the beginning of time. He, it, that's his one book that he has, but he also has a bottle, and in the bottle are all the tears of those who have suffered because of evil in our world. He has all your tears in the bottle, everything that has caused you pain, everything that has caused you sadness. He collects those tears. He doesn't forget a single one. And I want to add a, a second book. He has a second book, and that book is the book of life. And the book of life is where your name goes when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. When you call on him, he writes your name in that book, and you are, you are uh, protected. You're saved on the day of judgment because he knows that you're sitting under the, under the blood of Jesus. And so again, I ask you, is your name in the book of life? Is your name written in the book of life? Be sure, know that your soul is right before God. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to get it all right. We're going to keep messing up. But we can know that we know that we know that we're God's child. And we've been forgiven of our sins. That we're cleansed by the blood of the Lamb and made new. Amen? Amen. Somebody say book of life. Book of life. All right. The last thing I want to say, which leads, we lead into here, is that we receive. The third thing that Joel gives us. So we've, we've lamented. We've repented, but now he shows us that in the face of disaster and ruin and hardship, he tells us to receive. And this is an incredible verse that I know you've heard before, but maybe you didn't know it was in Joel. Joel 2, 28, he says this, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Sound familiar? <laughs> we love this verse in the vineyard. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Famous passage in, from Acts 2, Peter quotes it when he is preaching right after Pentecost, right after the time when the Spirit has been poured out. And Peter says, this is what Joel was talking about. The Spirit's come, and now he's going to walk with us. Wherever there's ruin, God is also sending renewal, and he does it through the power of his Spirit. It's the only way. And we, we just call on the Holy Spirit. Whenever we come to God, that he wants to restore us. And he does a new thing. It's like Charles talked about a couple weeks ago in worship. He said, we can't always expect when the Holy Spirit comes that it looks a certain way. We sometimes, in church, we expect, oh, there's the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes in his own way, his own time. And we should expect him always to be doing a new thing. He brings new wine, new presence, new, new revelations. He, he wants us to, to, to receive his Spirit just as he wants to give it. I'll say that to you today. Receive. Receive the Holy Spirit of God. Be filled. Be filled with the Spirit. Peter said it at Pentecost. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you know Jesus, you have the Spirit in you. Receive it. Receive more. Receive more. Call on the Spirit of God. Walk by the Spirit of God. One of the most beautiful and touching verses from Joel, and I couldn't preach on this without coming to this verse. You've probably, again, heard this one before. Is in Joel 2. He says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you, you will have plenty to eat until you are full. You will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be ashamed. He's going to restore the locust years of your life. And what are your locust years? They might have been disasters, ruin. Could have been your house had a fire. It could have been floods. It could have been natural disasters. It could have been 
other kinds of disasters, cancer coming upon your family, financial ruin. It may have just been a jobs that never panned out that you thought were going to be good and weren't. It may have been businesses that failed. It may have been marriages that ended in divorce. It may have been children that went astray. These could all be years that the locusts have eaten. It could be even that we wa have wasted years walking away from the Lord, just doing our own thing, wasting it on activities that just destroyed our relationships and destroyed our walk with him, and we could have been walking with him. Oh, God, we all have locust years, don't we? Does anybody here not have a locust year? <laughs> we all have locust years. We look back and we say, oh, God, why did I waste those years? And the enemy tries to tell you, yeah, see, you messed up. It's too late for you. And what does Joel say? No, 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 you know. He says, never will my people be ashamed. Never ashamed. You will not be ashamed. No, Jesus, only Jesus will restore those years that the locusts have eaten. Be filled with the Spirit. Receive the Spirit. And he's going to start to do a healing work on all those locust years. He can multiply the years. I don't care if you're 40 or 50 or 60 or 80. He can multiply the years that you have left on this earth to bring his kingdom on, on this earth. Amen? It's never too late. It's never too late. He is the God of the do-overs, of starting afresh, of new wine. Hallelujah. So I'm going to invite the team to come back up. As I close this intense but beautiful book, right? Who knew all this was in this little tiny book of Joel, just a few chapters? To lament over the sadness and the, the destruction and the ruin of our world, and some, in some cases the ruin in our own life. We can lament over the years the locusts have eaten in our life. But also to repent, to say, Lord, I want to come back to you. Maybe there's some way in which today you're realizing I've kind of turned, maybe I haven't totally turned my back on God, but I just kind of turned sideways. Anybody ever turned sideways? <laughs> He's here, but <laughs> turn fully to the Lord. And as you repent, as Peter said in that first sermon, you will receive the Spirit. Let's just close our eyes for a moment and receive what he has for us today. Right where you are. We take a moment to lament. To lament for what what's going on. Maybe what's going on in the world is really weighing heavily on us. Have mercy, Lord. And maybe it's something in our own life, locust ears that are lost. Lament. Bring it to God. All your feelings, all your pain. And then I... I call us to ask the Lord, do I need to repent, Lord? Am I right with you? Even once I've come to faith in Christ and know him and walk with him, I can still have things I need to repent of. doesn't mean I'm not going to be able to stand at the day of the Lord. He covers all my sins, but I still need to come to him and say, I'm sorry, Lord, I shouldn't have done that. I was turning sideways to you, Lord, and not not doing what you told me to do. Maybe like Jonah, I ran the other way. 
from what you were calling me to do. And then I feel this so strongly today. Would you then now open up your heart to receive the Holy Spirit of God? Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. We receive.